affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Matthew chapter 25, verse 44 and 45. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be to God. 
the start of Lent. Uh, the crash is, is well packed away. Can you imagine that that was just here um, a number of weeks ago? Christmas, so close to Lent, gets us to be thinking about the, the quick movement, spiritual dynamic that we go through each year through our liturgical calendar. The parties are all gone. Do you still remember the presents you got for Christmas? I bumped into something in my closet yesterday and went, oh, yes, that's right. Put it on last night. And um, there are some things that we haven't lost, and that's the pounds around our waist. We're probably still carrying them from Christmas time as if we, we need a little extra girth to sustain us through the sacrificial season called Lent. So soon after Christmas comes Lent, yet it really seems light years apart. And I think it has a lot to do with our emotions. The attitude we bring to births are not quite the same as the emotions that we bring to death. As we enter this, this pathway of Lent, we know we're headed towards the cross. We're on our way to a death. It looms ahead of us. It beckons us to kneel in its shadow, to acknowledge its cruelty, and to try to fathom uh, the mystery of love that's involved in it. It's a somber and a serious thing, this Lent. And I am here to uh, look out at you with all the friendliness that I can muster with a, a well-intentioned gaze and invite you to draw near to all this madness and to somehow use it for your good. Imagine that. Have a good Lent, I'll say. I'll say it with a straight face, meaning what I say, really so. Lent is good for you. It's all about self-examination. It's about what you might call a spiritual auditing. Thinking about the image that God has for you and the you that you know yourself to be. Lent is about repentance and a love from God that makes that repentance possible. It's the time in which that famous prayer is uttered again and again. Oh Lord, help me be the person my dog thinks I am. <laughs> a Sunday school teacher asked his young classmates a question. What is, what is meant by the word repentance. One little boy raised his hand and said, be sorry for the stuff you do that's bad. Ah, said the teacher, good, good answer. So, so we might say repentance is being sorry for our sins. And then, then a little girl in the back, she raised her hand, she raised her hand and, and the teacher said, well, well, okay, a, another thought. 
All right, go ahead. Tell us what, what you think repentance means. To me, uh, the little girl said, it means being sorry enough to quit it. In Lent, we seek to notice the contrast between God's hopes and, I don't know, dare we say God's expectations for us and our reality. With a, with a burgeoning resolve to do something about the difference. To give ourselves a good talking to, if, if that's what's necessary. To hold ourselves accountable to our faith that we claim, to our hope that we cling to, and grow by the grace of God more fully into who we are intended to be. So welcome to Lent. Have a good Lent. Make it worthwhile. We're affirming our overarching theme of setting a course for a better life. We think that's what we're about in our faith pilgrimages and what we have to offer people who come in contact with us, a better course for a better life. And we turn now from hospitality ministries and, and ministries of worship to ministries of compassion and goodwill taking note of the fact that we are to be orientated to those in need, not to ourselves. Now, I was thinking about that, that that really is a foundational orientation for us as people of faith, to be orientated towards the other to do unto others, to love God and neighbor. That this is a basic foundational orientation to us. And probably the biggest challenge that we face as people. Because when you think about it, you really don't need your faith to teach you to be more selfish. <laughs> do you? We actually do that pretty well on our own, don't we? Without a lot of help from other people or advice out of the Lord God Almighty telling us how to be selfish. We got that covered. Being selfless, well, that's an entirely different thing. And maybe we need our faith and every prayer we can muster to become selfless. Maynard says the shift we're talking about here in this type of ministry is a shift from serve us to service. And I like that kind of play that he makes. The message is clear. The church doesn't exist to serve us. The church exists to serve the world, to transform the world. The shift from serve us to service 
invites the church to consider how this dimension of discipleship is supported by the congregation from helping each one of us explore our giftedness from God, what our passions are, helping us to identify those things that we have been given that can be driven outward towards other people, and then define on-ramps, as he calls it, ways by which we can easily get onto the path of serving others. As I was uh, exploring this, I, I got to be thinking about well, I oftentimes say that Jesus was in the business of helping people, but I'm wondering, did Jesus really care for people? Did Jesus really serve other people? So I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to take a moment, I'm going to get away from the pulpit and come out here to you and ask you a question. Can you think of a time, help me out here with my sermon, I've kind of run adrift now. Marty, help me out. Is there a time you can think about in Scripture where Jesus helped somebody else? I don't know. Elaine, you want Can you think of a time? Uh, Let's all start thinking about this so you don't feel quite put on the spot like <laughs> I've, I've just done here to the pollings. I think of the lepers. Can you remember the leper stories? Yes. And that wasn't a... That wasn't an easy thing to do because those lepers were seen as, as pretty nasty, bad people as well as ill people. That's why they had leprosy. Jesus loved them. Jesus served them. Okay. Who else? Well, has the... Hmm? The Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is a story about helping people, right? Loving your neighbor, identifying your neighbor, and loving your neighbor. I want an example of Jesus actually being a nice guy. What about Lazarus? Okay, raising Lazarus from the dead is a good example of Jesus doing a nice thing. Feeding the multitudes. Feeding the multitudes. He did that a couple times, four or 5,000 people. Healing the beggar. What? Healing the beggar. What? Feeding beggars. Healing the beggars. Healing the guy that couldn't walk. How about the guy that couldn't hear? Did he do anything to anybody that couldn't hear? I was going to say the Samaritan, and the reason is because Jesus showed compassion and love that someone was far beneath the level of society that was normal. That's right. And I love the fact that you guys are going to the Good Samaritan story because it's a great story about how we all should be compassionate. But I want to challenge you to think about whether Jesus really did what he preached. Who's read the Gospels here? Can you, can you think of something? Well, a centurion servant. Okay, there we go. And who wants to be a friend to a centurion, right? Yet Jesus was. And he healed that person, right? All right, that's a good example. What's that, calming the waters? What good was that? All right, so he, he, he saved some people from drowning. All right, good, good one. I was just over there. Why don't you raise your hand when I was there? Here, I'll, I'll come back. I, you're going to get my steps in today. Thank you very much. Mr. Harrison, let me come around and give you a mic so everybody can hear you. Some of us are hearing challenged, as you've seen just myself. Let's not forget my favorite. He turned water into wine. 
All right. I know for some of us that was the best miracle of all, right? Uh, the woman at the well who he transformed the life of. Transformed the life of the woman at the well. Does anybody remember a woman coming up and grabbing his uh, clothing and being healed? When he said, let the little children come into me. Okay, so what's the big deal on that? Why do you, why do you say that? He was being nice to kids. All right, well, which is a big deal because back in those days you weren't really nice to kids until they turned about 10 or 12 and could work in your fields. Before that, they were just a nuisance. They were a liability to your house. You had to feed them and do stuff like that. So Jesus was doing a really a big thing. Anybody over here read the Gospels? Anybody? Okay, Peggy's getting up the courage. All right. What about the thief that was on the cross next to him? The thief on the cross. Who would be nice to that guy? Jesus was nice to that guy, right? Okay, I'm having some fun with you just to help me establish the fact, help me establish the fact that Jesus actually cared for people. Jesus was a person of compassion. So when I say that to you, you all go like, yeah, that's true. You're not, you're not saying Walt's stretching things, right? <laughs> All right, and, and the kind of the definition of discipleship is that you follow in the footsteps of the person you're a disciple of. Am I right with that also? So as we come here to worship uh, God as manifested in Christ Jesus, we are saying as disciples of Christ that we're going to follow Jesus' teaching and example that we ourselves think that we ought to be compassionate people. Am, am I still with you? that we should be compassionate, because Jesus was. But more than that, Jesus was, if we needed more, Jesus said, hey guys, you do it too. And that's where that Good Samaritan story is so important, and that's where our scripture reading today is so important. It's not that Jesus just acted compassionately for why we are to become compassionate people. It's also because Jesus said to us, I want you to be compassionate people. We are to love God and neighbor, and the major way that we do this is by our personal acts of compassion and of social justice, righting wrongs, as Jesus says in our scripture this morning, the way we treat the least of these is indicative of how we regard him. We are not allowed to say we love Jesus and then treat our neighbors poorly, especially our disadvantaged neighbor. And then think that we are still happily in Jesus' good graces. When we commit to being disciples of Christ, we seek to draw into a oneness with God through Christ and, and to take into ourselves, however we can do that, take into ourselves the values the perspectives, the attitudes, 
the patterns of behavior of Jesus. We seek to take that all in as a disciple of Christ. And in so doing, in doing that, we lift ourselves up and cast a vision that is greater than ourselves, a vision that takes in the other, the neighbor. We mature ourselves spiritually by becoming concerned for the well-being of other people. It really, really is startling to realize the emphasis that Jesus puts on acts of compassion through how he lived his life, what he taught. Compassion towards others. And so we are called, like it or not, we are called to pay attention to any, to any discrepancy of how we should be towards others and how we are towards others. And if those two things are out of sync, we're in the right season to do something about it. If those things, if there's a discrepancy between those two things, we are to repent of that shortfall and work with the Holy Spirit to make a shift, to make a shift from being all wrapped up in ourselves to being open compassionately towards others. So I came across a story this week and uh, I thought I'd share it with you because I think it just fits right into the sermon. It fits right into the, uh, the point I'm hoping you're um, catching on to by what I'm saying. Um, there were these three kids and they were, they were going home from school and as, as you moms or dads might know, you typically give some instructions on that and it is basically come right home or you go to the Y and go there right away. No messing around, doing anything else. Don't let me hear you've been out. Anyway, two of these kids had that message to go to the Y, uh, and they didn't. They, they decided that it would be um, more fun or nicer to go and get their friend home I th I'm sure they would say safely, see our friend home safely, and then go to the Y. And we know this because as the story goes, the mother hears what I'm about to say to you and then turns to her son and says, did you actually do that? Because she didn't know about it because he kept presenting himself to her as someone who had gone to the Y and not done what the story is I'm telling you about. Because those two kids with their friend went off to their friend's house. And on the way home to their friend's house, down the street, they heard this moaning, this moaning coming out of this yard with a, with a fence. They couldn't see a reason for the moaning, so they went up to the fence to, you know, to kind of look over the fence to see what all this moaning was about. And here was this old guy, this 88-year-old, on the ground. Lawnmower off to the side, off, moaning. Turns out he had been moaning for four hours. 
and just by the good luck of disobedience, these kids walked by. Heard the moaning, decided they ought to do something about that, so stopped the car that was driving down the street and had that adult call 911, and, uh, and the paramedics came and saved the day. The paramedics came and, and lifted Harold uh, Storley up and got him onto a gurney and got him into the truck and got him to the hospital, and he had broken his leg. Somehow he fell, and, and as you know, as we age, we get more brittle, and he, he was still out there doing stuff, and he, he broke his leg. Um, but they were able to, to fix him up. They were able to treat him. And so it, it, it felt like just a, a kind of a cool story, don't you think? But here's why I'm telling you the story. At the end of the shift that day, those three paramedics went back to Harold's house. And they revved up that lawnmower and they finished cutting his lawn and then they got out the brooms and they swept up all the cuttings and they did some pruning and they got everything straightened for him. Put it all away. And then they went home. And I thought to myself, hmm, do unto others, huh? Do unto others. Service-minded people. It wasn't enough they saved his life. They cut his lawn to be a disciple is to be a servant to be the church is to serve the church cannot be the church without being missional in nature this is what we're going to look at this Lent how our Faith in God through Christ calls us to be in service to others. How the, the church connection is all about serving others. It's not about getting served. Rachel is going to take us through this great passage from Michael that is, Micah that is a, uh, a clarion call to service that Jesus heard on his heart as he was nurtured in his faith and lived into his ministry. And it's just as powerful now as it was back then for him. So welcome to Lent. Have a good Lent. Make it worth your while. Amen.